If you live in a city or town, you depend on its government for a lot. But what if the town goes bankrupt? Welcome to Detroit. I'm Dan Ringer, and we'll talk about municipal bankruptcies right now on The Law Works. From West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Closed captioning for The Law Works is made possible by a grant from the Monongalia County Bar Association to support legal information and education for all West Virginians. The Law Works is made possible by major grants from the West Virginia Attorney General and from Software Systems Incorporated, a West Virginia company established in 1975 which provides high-end support services, programming, and consulting for county government AS400 mid-range computer systems as well as PC-based systems, and by a grant from the West Virginia Bar Foundation. The West Virginia Bar Foundation, the philanthropic organization for West Virginia's legal profession and justice system, promoting public knowledge of the law in West Virginia. Towns and cities depend on taxes and revenues for municipal services, but when businesses close and when jobs are lost, taxes and revenues decrease. Money is lost, and municipal bankruptcy may well follow. My guest is attorney Martin P. Sheehan. Marty, welcome back. Hi, Dan. How are you? You are a bankruptcy attorney, among a few other things. I, I do a good bit of bankruptcy work, that's true, Dan. And you serve as a trustee uh, in bankruptcy cases. I'm a Chapter 7 trustee here in West Virginia. I'm president-elect of our National Bankruptcy Association, and I teach bankruptcy at the law school, so I've, I kind of do some stuff in bankruptcy, Dan. S some stuff. It occurs to me that when we start bringing bankruptcy lawyers in uh, on the law works to talk about things that might be of concern to people, that there are some awful things afoot because the economy is, if it's resulting in bankruptcy, then we need to be concerned. That's true. That's certainly true, Dan. And the, the, what we're talking about today is municipal bankruptcy. Now, we haven't, I don't think we've seen any of that in West Virginia yet. I talked to somebody, but we haven't seen it. Well, so. that, that sounds ominous. I'm no, going to ask you to, to talk to I them. talked to some little village years ago, and they solved their problem, and they did not need to talk to me. And I'm not aware of a, a, a real out need for, uh, for municipal bankruptcy in West Virginia at this time. But it has happened, and when it happens, it's big. And the last one that happened was the city of Detroit. That's the That one's pretty big, and... Uh, um, and certainly it's a messy one. Uh, the other one that's sort of interesting is the county that Birmingham is in in Alabama. Actually, a former West Virginia resident, the bankruptcy judge down there. Um, I, I, I'm drawing a blank on his name at the moment, but a very good person, a former West Virginia lawyer, went down to Alabama, and he has the municipal bankruptcy for whatever county that is in, uh, in Alabama. Is this something that we need to be concerned about? Well, the Detroit issue is really a big issue about uh, pension liabilities, legacy costs. Um, and uh, the, the, the problem in Detroit is easy to explain. The solutions are much more difficult. 
But what happens in Detroit is that the longtime big employers, the auto industry, have suffered tremendous cutbacks. Uh, the population of Detroit has dropped uh, by hundreds of thousands of people. The tax base that Detroit was built on has diminished, and the need for municipal services has continued. Politicians, uh, being what they are, are pretty easy to expand benefits as things are getting better and kind of slow to cut them back as we're, as we're on the downside. And so what's happened in this particular situation is that the economic reality of a smaller tax base uh, and increased expenses has come home to roost in Detroit in a way that is horrific. You described the reasons for Detroit's bankruptcy and it sounds, by just changing a few words, like you could be describing West Virginia's economic status. The, the, the similarity that we have in West Virginia to the Detroit problem is what we're talking about in terms of pension uh, obligations. Here, we have uh, had unfunded municipal liabilities. We Once upon a time, we used to hand out pensions to employees and without putting any money away to pay for those pensions when they came due. We said, when those come due, we'll, uh, we'll just have tax money and we'll pay you. What and they were all defined benefit plans. They were, and we realized over time that that's kind of a problem. And Western is actually working on a program to cause municipal uh, pensions and state pensions to become uh, uh, more fully funded. And we're working on resolving that problem. But until that's 100% and until the money is vested, until the money is put away where it can't be made available for any other purpose, uh, there is a certain amount of risk uh, for uh, employees of municipal governments. What happened in Detroit to pensions? In, in Detroit, the pension liabilities have got to the place where what bankruptcy lawyers just talk about is that everybody needs to take a cut. Everybody needs to give up some money. And we tend to use the word haircut just because it's we'd like to do to make you a little smaller without actually hurting you. And so um, uh, what happened in Detroit is that they feel that they are behind the eight ball by somewhere in the neighborhood of $20 billion for outstanding debts and bonds and that kind of thing. And a municipality, unlike a corporation, tends not to save up money or tends not to be involved in a money-making operation. I mean, a municipality raises tax money, and I joke, but at the point of a gun, um, in order to provide services to people. And so uh, the only revenue stream that most municipalities have is uh, tax money. And so if you have too much money in expenses, the answer is to raise taxes. And at some point, you run out of your ability to raise taxes in any practical matter. And then you have a major problem because cities don't have stuff to sell off. You can't sell City Hall because the mayor sort of still needs a place to come to in order to make sure that the snowplow got to your house, the garbage got picked up, or we can't sell the garbage trucks. We can't sell, Lord forbid, we have to sell the city dump. Uh, but we do see towns, cities, selling some of the police cars. We see them selling other resources, other assets that they may have. In Detroit, uh, when I was reading about what happened to them, they have pretty much turned off the streetlights. 
they've tried to eliminate an expense, but that, and while that may eliminate a bill, it doesn't necessarily eliminate um, other problems. Uh, the police department will tell you that having streetlights on uh, helps reduce crime. So maybe you'd like to pay for light bulbs. Maybe you don't want to pay for, uh, I, I don't know what it is a municipality would do, but maybe you don't want to pay for some grant money to go out uh, to, to provide for arts, or you don't want to pay for a, a festival at the riverfront. But well, you close, you close the swimming pools. So now the kids don't go swimming, they go wander the streets. Yeah, we, we decided that there were some social goods, which is why we built the swimming pool, why we built some things. And there are some things that we can maybe change how we structure. We charge admission to a swimming pool. We might, for so those who use it are paying a little bit more money. You might pay, charge rent for uh, shelters at a park. You might charge uh, increased fees in certain ways. But there is a limit, a practical limit, as to what you're going to raise. And in Detroit, when you lose a couple hundred thousand people, uh, it's not like you can say, well, we're going to lop off a part of the city and we're not going to provide police protection or fire protection to the west side or the east side or whatever the magic neighborhood uh, designation is in, in Detroit. You have to, you still have these obligations and largely people are trapped trying to figure out a way to cut expenses. We're talking about municipal bankruptcy. My guest is attorney Martin P. Sheehan. I'm Dan Ringer and this is The Law Works. I, I see parallels, though, through West Virginia. I know many, many towns have unfunded pension uh, plans for firefighters, uh, for police officers, for other governmental employees. Uh, the state of West Virginia has been working for years to try to fully fund the state teachers' retirement program. And, and honestly, they've made good progress with that, but they're still way, more, way off the finish line. We're not there yet, and we haven't necessarily uh, made that money uh, something that politicians don't have the ability to redesignate. Um, and and I'll, I'll kind of point out something to you. In the 60s, we had a tremendous surplus in the Social Security program. Uh, Congress decided to expand benefits because it seemed like the money would go on forever. The actuaries, the people who would say how long the money's going to last, would have told them no, but we expanded the programs anyway. Now, we're talking about trying to change Social Security so that it can meet its obligations to um, the disabled and to senior citizens who quite honestly are living longer and therefore asking for more money over time, uh, which we promised. And so it's trying to fund that system is a bit of a problem. So West Virginia has a, it's a little bit of a microcosm the same way. We haven't necessarily put the pension money aside uh, so that a politician couldn't say, now, the legislature, a whole group of politicians, couldn't say we're going to dedicate that so that um, it has to go to people. A few years ago, we decided to try to change to con uh, uh, defined contribution plans. And when we did that, um, it worked out great for about the first year, but the market dropped, and a lot of people got concerned that they weren't going to be able to, to manage their own money. But the person that I try to rely on, Dan, is me. So I try to put my own retirement money away. That's not always true for uh, a person who's an employee, particularly of a, of a government agency. We ought to take a step back. We've talked about defined benefit plans and defined contribution plans. A defined benefit plan says if you are a member of this plan and if you have worked X number of years, we will give you, return to you, pay to you as a pension 
a certain number of uh, dollars each month or each year. That's the defined benefit. Defined contribution plan says you contribute this money to the plan, we will invest it for you, and then depending upon how the investments work out, we will pay you back some percentage in terms of dollars each month, each year. And you don't know exactly what your retirement's going to be until you get ready to cash out, and they will tell well, you. And you don't really know that you've made enough contributions to last how long you're going to live. If you're going to live five years, that's great, but people are living into their 90s now with regularity. Uh, Senator Byrd famously said 90s the new 80, and so if you're planning for the next uh, um, ten, an additional 10 years, those are payouts from plans that weren't necessarily anticipated when people put them in. When we started Social Security, uh, we set the retirement age at 65. People lived to 66 or 67, um, and so we were paying out a couple years, and it didn't seem to be a big problem. But now the, the numbers have changed dramatically. Yeah, and now most of the advice I see about when to select your Social Security uh, benefits says 70. Right, it says Defer put it off it as long as, as, long as you as can. can. Yeah. Right. And they will then say it's okay because you will make a lot more money in the long run. The problem is surviving between 60 and 70 if you're not able to work or aren't working. Well, and quite honestly, Dan, you know, I work in a in a business that's not physically taxing. My neighbors uh, worked in a steel mill, and so uh, it is physically taxing. So it's nice for us to pontificate about uh, when you should retire, but quite honestly, some people need to retire because they're physically beat, and other people have the luxury of waiting longer. And I, I used to think that older people moved around slowly and in an apparent in apparent pain because that's just what happened to you when you get older. Not exactly. That's a culmination of all those little insults and injuries that your body has taken over the years. You limp a little bit because you twisted your knee when you're in high school playing football, or you, your, your hands don't work quite as well because you worked in an industry where you got repetitive motion syndrome and things like that. And you put all these things together, and when you see older people who are having physical difficulties, they've probably had a lot of different physical difficulties over the years. Lawyers. We sit behind a desk, we sign papers, we dictate letters, not so physically demanding. So yeah, we shouldn't be the ones to pontificate about it. We make up for it with stress. So, uh, <laughs> just, just That's so true. That we, we have in fact covered that, 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 uh, That's that true. issue too. Dan. Well, can the city j say then, well, there's not enough money in the pension fund to pay you, we're not gonna pay you? Well, uh, that's sort of what people were afraid of in Detroit and uh, Honestly, the early litigation, the Detroit case, was about uh, provisions in Michigan law that said you can't cut pension benefits. In fact, they put it in the Michigan Constitution that you couldn't cut pension benefits. Uh, surprise, uh, the Supremacy Clause in the federal constitution says that federal law controls, and under federal bankruptcy law, you can, in fact, do both of those things. And so uh, the Michigan fight to prevent them from being in bankruptcy was about uh, a problem about um, the, the the pension issue was it was squarely front and center, and the concern is of course that we're somehow cheating people who worked for us for a long period of time, and we're going to pay them less. Now, in the Michigan case, I recently saw that the judge has uh, um, declined to pay some bondholders. Uh, they had agreed to take some haircut. Um, and uh, he said it wasn't enough, so he wouldn't approve uh, the payment plans. And so 
the judge has acted in a fairly tough way to make sure that there's a, a fairly even-handed approach to the haircuts that are occurring uh, in that case. It's a, it's a big job, but I, I know Judge Rhodes. Uh, I met him a number of times, and uh, I can't think of a better person to be responsible for trying to look out for the little guy in the Detroit case. But when a judge says, you bondholders, you're not going to get quite as much as you thought you were going to get, not all of those bondholders are big institutions. That's certainly true, Dan, because a lot of us have money put away. We've invested in funds and those kinds of things. And so there is a ripple effect to, to how these things happen. Um, and I'm not, there is no, there's no great solution that bankruptcy has where everybody gets uh, uh, more money than they put in. Uh, bankruptcy is about sharing limited resources with people who are owed more money than the resources available are. You know, the odd thing that's in the Detroit case is the city owns the art museum. And I've heard some estimates that the art collection is worth $2 billion. And the pension people are saying, well, if we have to take a haircut, that's fine, but let's uh, get the $2 billion out of the art collection before we do so. And, uh, you know, I, I know some people will tell you that we, man does not live by bread alone. Um, and, uh, you know, there's another great saying I've said, uh, you know, when I have money, I buy books, and when whatever's left over, I buy food. And that's a wonderful thing to put on a poster, but it's not a real thing to say to people on a regular basis. Uh, and so, I am sympathetic at some level, and I think the, the judges too. Uh, there is some effort from some foundations to try and make contributions to Detroit so that the art collection could be sort of bought but kind of be left with the city because people think that having that art collection is a valuable resource for the city and will in fact uh, assist in some kind of turnaround and be an attractive place to attract business. Uh, so that business will thrive in Detroit and the taxes will be paid uh, into municipal coffers. So it's a, it's a little bit of a vicious cycle, but it's trying to find a new mechanism that makes Detroit work in a way that's uh, radically different for them. We're talking about municipal bankruptcy. My guest is attorney Martin P. Sheehan. I'm Dan Ringer, and this is The Law Works. When you talk about foundations contributing money to avoid municipal bankruptcy or to solve particular incidents and that, it sounds as though we're going to set up tables and say bake sale to bail out Detroit. And when I look at West Virginia, I mean, we've got a lot of infrastructure now that we can't afford to maintain. Are we going to have a bake sale here? Well, a number of years ago, a, a church files for bankruptcy that I was aware of in West Virginia over in the eastern panhandle. And I, I was in the judge's office one day, and I said, and what are we going to do? And he said, they're going to raise more money. And so I just sort of looked at him. And really, that was kind of the solution. So if the church had a bake sale, yeah, the municipality can have a bake sale. Um, but we still want municipality to do certain things. You want them to inspect your house. You want the, the building inspectors to come out. You want the fire department to go to work. You want fires to be put out. You want, in some places, municipalities are responsible for uh, uh, schools. Um, you want, um, there's a whole lot of things that we think are crucial to government. And sometimes we have to say we can afford it. And sometimes we have to say we really can't afford it. Governments are not good at saying to people who want things, we can't afford it. 
that's true. And, and in, in, in fairness, in Detroit, there are allegations of years and years and years of what is typically said to be public corruption. And I, I don't have an opinion about that, but they sure were spending more money than they had. Th there are politicians in Detroit who've gone to jail for that. So that's, that's a fact. Uh, it's, not, it's not a pleasant experience. Um, you know, but sometimes you could have a, a business or a corporation or a municipality be run by the 12 smartest people in the world, and uh, you can still reach a hard time. Um, something cataclysmic can happen that's unexpected. And so bankruptcy sometimes deals with those cataclysmic failures, um, but you, and you can also have systemic ones. Uh, and, and of course, I postulated that we had the 12 smartest people in the world running it. We don't always elect the 12 smartest people in the world. Uh, we don't always uh, get the best for our bank, uh, Buck. But I mean, I, I will tell you, my experience with municipal employees is everybody tries hard and everybody tries to do the right thing. And I think that mostly my life's experience is about that that people try to do the right thing, but sometimes we just get overwhelmed by problems. Well, it, it, part of the problem is that people will take municipal employment or governmental employment, which is typically at a lower wage than they might get if they were working in the private economy, in industry, in business, because of the promise of a better or at least a certain retirement when it comes time for that. That's true, Dan, and we used to, and I'm going to sound sexist, and I don't mean to, but we used to sometimes reserve municipal employment for widows or people who we thought had some additional need, uh, and it was a little bit of uh, a trade, we'll try and protect you um, uh, from the ravages of the world, something that's unfortunate will get you a job, something you can do, something that will sustain you, not something that will make you rich, but something that will sustain you. And so. People who've taken jobs under those circumstances are um, people that it's very hard to say, oh, surprise, we're not paying you a pension or we're paying you half the pension you expected. And it's like, well, what am I going to do to live on? And then we just say we don't have an answer to that, but you're off the payroll. Those answers are, are, are really almost unimaginable. But that's the problem we have because there just isn't enough money to go around. We've made promises that were too big. Well, and we've, and we've seen that in, in all kinds of industries, the steel industry, the automobile industry, the coal industry, where people are told that there will be pensions out there available for them. And then the company comes back and says, well, we're filing bankruptcy, we're going out of business. Uh, we didn't exactly put that money away. Uh, it's gone other places, it's not there. Well, one of the advantages that you just talked about all these corporations is that since 1974, the, the uh, Employment Retirement Income Security Act, ERISA as people call it, has been in place to protect businesses that are in interstate commerce. And that largely means everybody. But what it doesn't mean, and this is the key, is it doesn't mean state governments. It doesn't mean city governments. It doesn't necessarily mean churches. So those are places where the pension obligations are still at some risk. The, the steel workers, their, their pensions were guaranteed by the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. Congress sort of saw this coming uh, and got some protection for those pensions in place. There's less protection in place for the kinds of pensions that I've just outlined, state, municipal, and, and church pensions. Well, and they talk about cuts to Social Security. Um, cuts to Medicare, 
And if you represent any healthcare providers, you know there are real concerns in those areas. So I guess the moral is, if you think you've provided for your retirement, keep looking over your shoulder. That, that's absolutely true. I mean, I, I hesitate to say that the only person you can really count on is yourself, but you really do need to do uh, a lot of checking on who you are and where you are in the world because uh, bankruptcy is a system where we break promises and make new ones. And, uh, uh, and, and it's a sad fact that uh, some of those promises are made to people who just can't afford uh, to have the had to have admit that they've been lied to. Martin Sheehan, thanks, Marty, for joining us again. You're welcome, Dan. Thank you also for joining us. On behalf of the Law Works, I'm Dan Ringer. Good evening. If you would like to suggest a topic for a future The Law Works show, or if you're a school teacher and would like to receive a DVD of this show for classroom use, send us an email to thelawworks at comcast.net or visit us on Facebook. On the LawWorks website at thelawworks.org, you'll find a listing of recent The LawWorks programs, additional information about this show's topic, and video of this and recent shows. You can also find The LawWorks programs on YouTube and iTunes. The LawWorks is produced in cooperation with the Office of the West Virginia Attorney General, the West Virginia Bar Foundation, the Mountain State Bar, the Monongahela County Bar Association, and the West Virginia University College of Law. The Law Works is made possible by major grants from the West Virginia Attorney General and from Software Systems Incorporated, a West Virginia company established in 1975 which provides high-end support services, programming, and consulting for county government AS400 mid-range computer systems, as well as PC-based systems, and by a grant from the West Virginia Bar Foundation. The West Virginia Bar Foundation, the philanthropic organization for West Virginia's legal profession and justice system, promoting public knowledge of the law in West Virginia. Additional support for the law works is provided by the West Virginia Supreme Court of Appeals. From West Virginia Public Broadcasting, 